Welcome to the Mary D Show. I'm your host, Mary D, here to be your guide as we extract wisdom and life lessons from top CEOs, thought leaders, artists, spiritual luminaries, and wellness experts. My intention is to bring you value in every show that sparks an idea, helps you break a limiting belief, or encourages you to create thoughts that uplevel your life so that you can know from the deepest parts of your soul that everything you want is available to you and that abundance is your birthright. In 2018, I healed from breast cancer holistically after surgery without the use of chemotherapy or pharmaceuticals. I love biohacking and plant medicine and exploring spirituality and what it means to be in relationship with spirit so that we can feel whole and complete no matter what life throws at us. My specialty in the business world is strategy and leadership, and my gift to each of you is my ability to listen so that I can help others see themselves. In each episode, I want to sprinkle you with some hope dust, tickle your funny bone, and inspire you to find your inner roar. Get ready to live your most aligned, purposeful, and joy-filled life now, and enjoy the show. Thank you for joining us today. I have a very special guest for you, wealth advisor, financial advisor. He's got lots of great little letters and digits behind his name. My friend Walter Young from The Fifth Option. Walter, welcome to the show today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Mary, for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Hey, you have a new bestseller out uh, actually called The Fifth Option. And let's start there because I think some of my guests don't know who you are. Uh, So I definitely want to talk about your book and really quickly want to let everyone know that I have known you. I was doing the math this morning for 15 years now. And I, yes, and I was, I was just thinking to myself, wow, 15 years, it's so amazing how much time goes by. Because when we reconnected recently, you're talking about your kids being basically adults now. And I'm like, whoa, wait, I remember them being little kids running around, you know, all these different places that were having events. So the reason I know Walter and the reason I trust him is because, well, number one, I have known him for a long time, but we used to bring Walter in to speak at our wealth conferences. And Walter was one of those speakers that we brought back time after time after time because he's able to deliver such big value. And the way that we used to pitch Walter, which is exactly what I'm going to say right now, is that if you want to learn the secrets of the wealthy, then you're going to want to listen to what Walter has to say. And I would say that that hasn't changed. Walter, you are someone who's, you know, been financially responsible. I think most of America wants to be able to, to, to grow up to be someone that's financially responsible, but a lot of us don't know how. We didn't get the education in school. We might not have gotten it from our parents. And, uh, but there is a way, right? There is a way. Like, I think when people see wealth, they think, oh, I have to go out, I have to win the lottery, or I have to have this really super high paying job it's going to get me this, these funds and these finances. But actually, that's not completely true. It has to just do with knowing your numbers and then also knowing how to uh, obviously make good investments. Can you talk about that? Like, let's start with where did you learn about money? And, and then let's open the door and, and talk about the gems that are in your book and all of the things that are going to educate us on becoming more fiscally responsible. That's, yeah, loaded questions, which is, you know, in, in today. There's no place to learn about money, really, right? We know in the school system, you just never learn that. Even 
I went through, you know, I have an MBA in finance, I worked for a management consulting and, and there was just a very small number of courses that actually dealt with personal finance, right? So most of the world is taught corporate finance if you're taught anything about finance. But the reality of it is, is that there's one of the most important things that we could learn, especially in today's economy, which is different than a generation or two ago. We are probably more responsible now more than ever for our own retirement outcomes. Mm. Uh, and we probably have the least amount of education that we've ever had. It just puts the most pressure on us to be able to understand what do I do with money so that I can have the, you know, the ability to retire at some point. The first book I wrote, The Fifth Option, we traced a little bit about the history of retirement and how it began to evolve so that we can get a sense for, you know, I think when we look back in histories, we get a better sense of where we are today. And I think for most of people, we understand that there used to be a world that lived on pensions, right? We understand that, that you would, at some point, you worked 30 years for a corporation, you got a, you got a gold watch, you had a mortgage burning party, which right. maybe some of your viewership probably hasn't even heard of before. And you sailed off into the sunset with, with a pension, social security. If you didn't have a mortgage, you probably did okay when you, when you went into retirement. But man, things are different today, right? Pensions are basically gone. People have mortgages well into their retirement years. And so they just need a different way of planning. And so kind of my focus, my, my purpose for being, my why, is to help bring some of the academic studies that people don't get a hold of try to turn them into stories or, uh, you know, sound bites that people can digest easily so that we can learn what the academic world says about retirement planning. And, and spoiler alert, it's not what you read on TV or hear on TV. It's not what any of what I'll call the financial entertainers talk. The ability to create income in retirement is one of the hardest things there is to do. Mm-hmm. And there's actually lots and lots of quotes from the Nobel laureate winners of finance that say that creating retirement income is the hardest conundrum to solve. Uh, as Americans, we just aren't ready for how to do that for the long, you know, in, into mm-hmm. retirement. So that was the thrust behind the fifth option. It was to begin to understand, as you can tell by the title, that there is an option that most people don't hear about. And that was the impetus behind the book. Nice. And you are the son of an immigrant, correct? So talk to me about the, like, just your own personal alignment like where does that come from where does becoming fiscally responsible where does that even where does that even happen yeah uh my mom you know behind walter young and like you know kind of the most non-immigrant sounding name is, yeah. is, is a mother who was born in nicaragua and grew up in panama and became a natural citizen when her father worked in the, the uh, u.s navy uh and helping to do some science experiments they gave him the ability to be a citizen and so my mom became a citizen as well and so she married a, a doctor from the United States, a psychiatrist who was in the Navy also, and uh, they came back to the United States and then they had me. My mom and dad divorced when I was uh, in second grade. And so I was really just raised by a Latin mother. And so for any people out there that, that have that roots know exactly what I'm talking about. But what's interesting is my mom was very, very protective. You know, back in the time in the 70s and 80s, it was not as cool as it is today to be thought it was ethnic. And so cool. we, my brother and I have very American sounding names and my mom did a very, you know, tried her hardest to kind of conceal her accent and all the mm-hmm. things that would, that would really make us who, you know, you know, connect with our heritage. And she also just had no concept for how America works or money. Uh, and so she was always on the brink of, of not, you know, us not having what we needed and, you know, working, you know, like it's very traditional working a job or two to make sure that things, everything was met the way we need to be met. What she did believe in was education. And so she made sure that my brother and I got all the way through college 
uh, got my master's. Uh, and so, you know, okay. she would always tell us her legacy to us was going to be our ability to have education. Your education. Uh, and sadly, she passed a year ago in Panama. But, you know, the wonderful thing that happened was on her passing is my family got to go out and meet some of the family in Panama that they had never met before. And it's wonderful to see, you know, the generations connect and really have the ability to talk with each other and with, with social media, stay connected and, and kind of track what everybody's doing. There's probably somewhere deep in my psychology, very much the need to help people understand finances because it was a challenge in our household for sure. Uh, and I think that's probably where some of this was born from. Yeah. And, and I really like to merge the academic world where we have proof about how finances happen versus popular opinion where it's people's opinions. And, you know, I think if we could help people that learn that lesson, they'll all be better off in the long run. Absolutely. Well, what would you say? I mean, I really resonate with the immigrant mother, mine too. Uh, parents divorced when I was five. And I remember my mom having to figure it out. She worked two jobs. I don't think she even knew that food stamps was such a thing. So mm -hmm. she just saved her money and paid for whatever we needed to have paid for. And obviously moved us to you know a place where the economics worked worked a little more in her favor. But at the end of the day, I know that my mom was one of those people who was like, save your money, try to hang on to it as much as possible. She didn't know about credit. I don't think she knew how our American system works around mm -hmm. credit anyway. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's still an area that in general, people are not always great about. I definitely know enough entrepreneurs who have terrible credit that, that I can say that they either weren't taught or just were like, hey, I might up my income is up and down. And when it's down, unfortunately, I miss payments. And then, of course, this puts me into this cycle where I have mm -hmm. grabby credit. So mm -hmm. I think that's also, you know, from from an entrepreneurship way where I do see some people show up and then others are, are great at it. I think I, I lucked out in, in um, learning about money early enough that I really understood credit and leveraging credit. Talk to me about the fifth option I think of the term be your own bank. That's one mm -hmm. we've used with you before. And mm -hmm. I don't know that enough people know or understand how that works. So talk to me about how important is it for folks to understand their, like how credit works. And mm -hmm. then talk to me about some of these insurance products that help people get ahead in a way mm -hmm. that they're not thinking of it in these traditional ways. Like you said, people aren't working at their job for 20 years and leaving with a watch and a little bit of, you know, a feeder of money. I know my dad personally is retired from the military. He gets a, a retirement check from that. And now he's about to retire from the hospital. So he's going to have two retirements. And that, you know, will probably carry them, of course, with the, with the money they've saved. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not crazy money. Like, how can we start now and how can we do things differently? Yeah, so let me start. Those are kind of two questions that intersect at some point. So let me start with maybe the, the quick summary of the fifth option. Let me start that with a story. And I call this the desert island dilemma, right? And so the parable goes like this. Imagine you were on a, uh, on a cruise ship and the cruise ship runs into trouble and you have to abandon ship. And so everybody has to jump out into uh, the lifeboats and let's pretend like you are late to the party and the lifeboats are full. And so you jump and you have to jump into the water and thank God your parents gave you swim classes because you know how to swim. And as you look up in the distance, you see not too far away uh, an island. And so you swim to the island, you climb up onto the island, and you look around and realize you are now on a deserted island. But slowly, you start to see this thing bobbing towards you, and it turns out to be a barrel. And so you run down to the ocean shore, you pull this barrel up on shore, you open up the barrel, you realize 
It's a barrel of water. And a couple of things start to pop into your head. One is, is this all the water that's on the island? And as you do a little bit of a, of a search, you realize this is all the water you have on this island. And so now a question starts to pop in your mind. How much water can I drink each day so that I can stay alive to be rescued? And so in order to answer those two questions, I have to know two, two pieces of information. One is, how long am I going to be on this island? Well, I might look around and realize I'm not in a normal shipping lane. There's no planes going over me. So I might be on this island for a while. The second thing I might want to know is, does it ever rain? And when you look up in the clouds, you realize it's very hot, no clouds, not likely to rain each day. So if I don't know how long I'll be on this island, and I don't know if it'll ever rain, I'll ask the question again, how much water can you drink each day? And Mary, how would you answer that question? Oh, gosh. I mean, I guess I drink as little as possible. That's exactly right. You would drink as little as possible. And that's the desert island dilemma. So now let's shift this a little bit and, and change the scenery. Let's assume now it's your last day of work. Instead of giving you a cake for part that someone gives you a barrel, and the barrel is full of all the money you've saved. And on the way home, you begin to think again, similarly to, to the desert island, this is all the money I have in the world. How much money can I spend each day so it doesn't run out? Well, in a very similar fashion, I have to know two pieces of information. How long will I live? Can't know that answer. How will my money perform? Can't know that answer either. So in the absence of those two questions, Mary, I'll ask you the same question. How much money can you spend every day so that it lasts as long as you last? Well, if I think I'm healthy and I think that I want to live a long time, then I'm still probably spending as little as possible. Yeah. Still probably that, the same answer. And that is the retirement dilemma, right? Is that we don't have a good answer for how much money can I really spend every day so that it doesn't run out? And right. so a lot of research has been done to this regard, right? Because it used to be Penn just took care of that. Now it's you, right? You have a barrel of money that has to last as long as you live. And so there was a lot of research done that, uh, back in the 90s that asked the simple question, what was the most I can take out of a bucket of money and not run out under all market conditions for the last 30 years, right? So this gentleman did rolling 30-year periods of tests from 1926 to 1956, 1927 to 1957, and et cetera. What was the largest withdrawal I could take out so that I wouldn't run out of money? And the answer back in the 90s was about 4%. Oh. So that means that I can take out about 4% of whatever I've amassed at retirement, and it should last on average for 30 years, given most of market cycles that we've seen in the past. Okay? What that really means is if I have a million dollars, I should be budgeting about $40,000. Hmm. And so for most of us, that's going to seem like an impossibly small number when maybe I was living on 100000 when I retired, or maybe even more. And so the question now becomes, how many millions of dollars do I need to save to have the same semblance of retirement that I had when I was working? And the answer is a lot. And for most of us, that's going to be a challenge to get there, right? And so when you go sit down with your financial advisor, I should say a traditional financial advisor, and they say, well, you have a million dollars, congratulations, to you should be budgeting somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000 a year to live. And they can see the shock of you and your spouse going, wait a minute. I'm used to living on a lot more than that. What can I do to, to help my situation? They will give you four options. The first option is you can save more money. And yep. for a lot of folks, that's just hard to do. If you could have saved more money, you would have. But even so, that means I'm pitting my lifestyle today against the lifestyle in the future, right? Mm -hmm, and right. so we have to figure out 
one of us is going to win, the old me or the young me, right? And so we <laughs> put that, we don't want to make that a war between the future you and the, and the current me, right? So, right. so even if I could save more money, do I want to? Would I rather have a different way of doing this? The other option is to try to get a better rate of return in the markets. And so that's the equivalent of just taking more risk. Some of us are okay with taking more risk. Some of us don't want to take more risk. The third option is work longer, right? Mm. Canada's experimenting with a, a new age of retirement being age 70, right? Because wow. we live so much longer into retirement, we probably can't retire as early as we may be used to because we don't have enough money amassed. And the fourth option, sadly, is what most people choose is just live on less, right? They mm. begin to tell me things like this. I don't need to go on those trips. I don't really need to go out to dinner. People come back to the bare minimums of what they can get away with as a way of rectifying the fact that maybe they don't have enough money. Mm. Those are the four, what I call frustrating options that exist for most people. But guess what? There's a fifth option, right? The fifth option is how we begin to merge two parts of the financial uh, markets, the investment world and the insurance world. And when these two worlds come together, they provide better outcomes, meaning I get more income for the same dollar. And it's really the same science that's behind social security. It's the same science behind pensions. It's the same science that, that allows us to have these higher guaranteed incomes that we used to enjoy. What happened in the 2000s is that, that this split, we used to get this automatically with the pension. Mm -hmm. But then when the pensions went away, the world split. We have the, the investment world, we have the insurance world, and guess what? They hate each other. But the answer is, for the average person, is the combination of these two that gives us the best outcome when we get to retirement. And the fifth option goes through a number of examples of how these two can work together to give us a better outcome. The insurance world by itself, not good enough. The investment world by itself, not good enough. And I kind of use the example that it's like trying to clap, right? If you put one hand under your leg and try to clap, it's really hard. But when you have both hands available, we can clap, right? And that's what we really right. need. And so the fifth option really is rooted in some of the latest academia on how to tackle retirement income. And I turned it into a story so that people could hopefully understand some of these important points and then take advantage of them uh, as they begin to put their retirement income plans together. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of the quick summary behind the fifth option. Love it. You, you, will people you, be able to read the book and understand what to do next? Well, they will at least get a sense for how to begin to ask that question. And of course, they're welcome to call me and I can help get them put together. There's probably anywhere from a 20 to 80% difference in income when wow. you look at putting these plans together. It is a starkly different retirement plan when you understand how uh, some of this academic and, and some of the, the actuarial sciences, which is a fancy term for how long do I live. There's real math behind this, right? There's real math that people can take advantage of. Yeah. And it is now just becoming kind of accepted in the more general approach that insurance and investments go together. They are not supposed to be separated. They're not supposed to be frenemies. That's right. They're not supposed That's to be frenemies. And uh, you're starting to see more articles. You're starting to see more professors. You're starting to see more practitioners begin to talk about what is this income situation we have when you retire at 62, 65, whatever the number is, and you got 35 years to go. Yeah. That's going to be a very uncomfortable ride if it's all based on whatever the markets do. So that's a bumpy ride, as opposed to be able to put, put in more of a pension-like feel so that you can enjoy uh, your more of your retirement, right? I live by Boeing. I couldn't buy the pensions off people in Boeing if I wanted to, right? There's no way they're getting rid of that predictability. We know from studies that people live longer than have pensions. If they just live wow. longer, 
right? Mm-hmm. Because there's just less financial anxiety. There's more to look forward to. When I get a paycheck, I spend it. If I don't have a paycheck, I'm always worried about what I can spend mm-hmm. because I just don't know how much I have to, to keep for my kids. And as, as one famous financial planner once said, if you don't fly first class, your kids will. Wow. Because you will land up not spending as much as you could right. because you were fearful of what might happen, right? We all know those people that have a nice pile of money, but they don't yep. spend any of it. Yeah. But we also know the people that have pensions, they spend every dollar. Yeah. Right? Because it's coming again the next month, right? So yep. it's just a different way of thinking about retirement planning. Absolutely. Oh, so what would be your advice to someone who, let's say that someone has little to no debt, mm-hmm. they have some disposable income, let's call it $2,000 a month. Actually, let's call it less than that. Let's call it $500 a month. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice to them? Where do they start? Where do they even just begin to start so that they can have something later? Well, that's a great question that leads to my second. So the, the fifth option is really, I would say probably people in their 40s and above, like, you know, retirement starting to become a thing, right? But I recognize there's a large segment, the Gen Zs and the millennials, right, who are kind of just getting going. My second book is really talks about how to run your house like a business. Because most Gen Zs and millennials are more entrepreneurial minded. They're not the employee mindset that the boomers or Gen Xers are, right? Right. In fact, there's lots and lots of studies that suggest they're way more entrepreneurial, that they want to start their own businesses, uh, that they, they, you know, they have side hustles all over the place. Mm-hmm. They want the freedom and they want to feel like they're doing something that makes a difference, right? They yep. really are more motivated by the impact that work has than the actual dollars. And so one of the things that I talk a lot about is, there's personal finance and there's corporate finance, and they both share the same word finance, but they manifest themselves in different ways. Personal finance is really deals more with balance sheets. So if you ever talk to a financial planner, the first thing they want to know is how much, how much do you have in accounts, how much do you have in accounts, how much do you have in accounts, because that's what they could manage. Right. And that's what they want to charge, you know, the fees on is based on management of that. But as we talked about, having a balance sheet by itself is an unknown as to what that income is. Right? It's just, you know, I, I could have a million dollars in raw land that produces no income. I'm a millionaire, but I have no, I have no income. Or I could have a pension to no money and I have a lot more cash flow, right? Right. So corporate finance really delves into the world of cash flow. If you go into CNBC, no CFO brags about their balance sheet. Every CFO brags about their earnings or cash flow. Right. And we should think about it. Wait a minute. Maybe I'm thinking about finance in the wrong way. Maybe I can combine personal finance and corporate finance to come up with a better way to run your household. And so I, my second book is really going to talk about the 10 steps to running your house like a business. So to your point, where does somebody start? Well, I think you start the same way any business starts, which is understand your vision and value system for what you want out of life. Start there. Understand what you're trying to accomplish because it's very hard to get there if you don't begin to build a plan around it. Right? A lot of people just get into a job and, they, and you talk to them 20 years later, they don't even know why they're in this job. Right? They may not even love right. this job. They may not right. have accomplished the things they want to accomplish in life. So one of my favorite tools that I'm using, and we talked about this a little bit, is the Ikigai chart, which is Japanese or you know, having life fulfillment, which really, if you think about a, a, a four-part Venn diagram, kind of hard to do on a podcast, but a four-part Venn diagram, which is what I'm good at, what the world needs, what I can get paid for, and what I'm passionate about, in the center of all those is Ikigai. And if I get to be at my level of Ikigai, then I never work a day in my life. Right. A lot of the folks in Japan that talks about the philosophy of Ikigai, they will tell you they don't retire because they're in the intersection of everything they love. Right. 
And I think previous generations were very much, their focus more on the money-making. Uh, they had a job, they just went to their jobs, and then they had their, their societal fulfillment outside of work, right? That's where they would go in their churches or their communities, and that's where they interacted. And today's generations are a little bit different. They really integrate work uh, more than previous generations. You know, so that environment exists in that guy. What I'm seeing with some of the younger folks is they have side hustles all over the place. And the side hustle is what they're passionate about. Right. That is what they're trying to turn into a business. And their jobs are there to pay the bills until they can really find their purpose. Right. So I think everyone needs to start with that value system. Write it down. What is it valuable to you? If you're a family, what are the values that you want to impose upon your children and, and to run your life by? On CNBC, you'll hear the term maximizing shareholder value, right? Which is the business word is saying, I need to make this company worth as much as I can for the shareholders. Well, you are the shareholder of your home. You are the shareholder of your family. And rather than just maximizing shareholder value a dollar, I challenge you to maximize your shareholder values. What are the values at home that are important for you to bring out? Right. Yeah, I love that, Walter. I love that because it's one of the first questions I like to ask any CEO that's coming to do a discovery call with me or have a conversation is talk to me about your values, but also what are you actually trying to achieve, right? Because there's a lot of buzzwords. People are like, oh, I want to sell my company. It's like, well, what does that actually mean to you, right? right? right. And selling usually means some level of a chunk of financial freedom that now gives them time freedom so that they can go and do the other things that they love that don't necessarily mean building that company that they just sold. And right. then there's other people who are like, yes, I want to sell my company and I want to continue to run it for a piece as it continues to change the world. So I think it's really, really, really interesting to hear you say that because I think too many times people get caught up in, well, let me figure out how to make some money and then I'll do the other stuff later. I'll figure out mm -hmm. what my values are. I'll figure out what kind of life I can now have based on how much money I'm able to, to see walk in the door. Whereas yeah. I think how the universe works is if you follow your love and you follow your passion, a lot of times the money finds its way to you. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that's definitely been my experience of I, I'm motivated by fun. Uh, people might look at my life and go, oh, you, maybe you're, you know, she's motivated by money. I was like, actually, money is one of my lowest, like, it's very far down on the list when you think of all the other things that come before it. And fun was very much at the top. Fun, mm -hmm. freedom, mm -hmm. relationships. That's where I want to be. And right. that's been fascinating to watch over time and also just see how I've lived my life and the choices that I've made and go, well, I have followed a lot of fun. And my life's been exciting and it's been great. And I think that this is the piece that people miss so often. So what what would you say is the thing people need to know so that they can find their ikigai? Like what do they have to surrender to or what do they have to be open to? Well, I think you have to do some soul searching as to what is important to you. And I think we all need to understand that our our little circles, our bubbles won't be in perfect symmetry all, all the time in our lives, right? So I, right. I think about... I think about teachers or I think about nurses or people who are in service where they won't have as much money as other people will have, but perhaps their passions and things that are important to them, those circles will be larger to compensate. I also think the people who make a lot of money probably have smaller circles around their passions or connectivity. And they may, you know, and later in life, they may start to realize it's not about money, right? It's yeah. about 
It's about the balance that money provides me. And so we learn these lessons, you know, differently based on where we come from. I think the youth today are, are much better served that they're coming from a place of, of, you know, less about money and economics and more about impact on the world and, and, and having some of that financial freedom. The reality is you got to have some money too, right? We can't, you know, we can't, we, at some point it does cost money to live indoors. Uh, and so we want to make sure that, you know, that we have some of that balance, but throughout our lives, you'll see these things kind of moving around. If you can have five like words that really are impacting to you, then it will drive all your other decisions. It'll drive your financial decisions because it will help you understand that's what you're working for. It'll help kind of really create a framework around how you'll make financial choices throughout your life. I love that. Talk to me about how you raise your kids in teaching them about money, because I think this is an area that really fascinates people. Like my brother and my sister-in-law took their kids to a lot of Dave Ramsey events. Mm -hmm. They'd pay the kids for their chores, but then they had a family tax to teach mm-hmm. kids about tax and how that works. So what were some of the tools and the things that you've used in your own life as, again, someone very, you know, financially responsible and that mm-hmm. helps other people do this? What do, yeah. you, what do you teach your own kids? Yeah, great question. So my kids know that I was, I'm always kind of an out-of-the-box thinker, right? So putting money into Roth accounts and things like that for the kids early on is part of the deal. But they also really, as you brought up earlier, understanding that, you know, to the degree that we can control the direction that our money moves, is most of the battle. So if I'm writing a check outward while well, I'm losing because someone else is getting my money, if money's coming in, I'm winning. And that's where you talked about like being your own bank as one of the, the, the centerpieces our families used, which is we know that as a family, that if we can finance ourselves, the things that people buy, our cars, our college expenses, to a large degree, our family will use the money in our life insurance policies as that funding pot. And the, the reason for that simply is that I can borrow against myself so that I'm not paying third-party interest or more importantly, losing interest by taking on loans outside. That includes college, includes things that, that my kids expend. So, so my kids have grown up with the understanding that we want to rely less on banks, more on ourselves and create kind of that centerpiece of the ability to borrow money. You know, maybe it's a down payment in the house in the future that we want to really keep control of how that cash flows. One of the biggest lessons that you can learn is opportunity loss, right? The idea of understanding what am I giving up when I make a financial move? It doesn't mean that we can eliminate all financial loss, but we, but we certainly can calculate what that financial loss may mean as it may change some of the things you do, right? Yeah. So whenever I give up a dollar, I don't just give up that dollar. I give that dollar's future earning potential, right? And, and so that's an important lesson for people to understand. For example, if we're saving for college, I might have 18 years where I save money in a 529 plan or something that's traditional. And at the end of that 18th year, I have a lot of money saved up and it's actually getting interesting in terms of a balance of money. And then the first thing I do is give it to the college, right? And now the college gets the compounding effect of those dollars. And I try to start over, right? As I begin to save up again, but I don't have the 18 years of growth behind it like I did. Maybe a better method is to be able to borrow against that money and pay the college and then pay myself back but I never gave up the capital itself, right? I never gave that balance of money to somebody else. Doing that repeatedly over time and time again allows us to take advantage of cash flow as much as just savings. And so that's one of the lessons that I, I try to teach my kids and, and uh, my clients is how to uh, spot opportunity losses. And maybe the way you structure your mortgage and maybe the way that you have credit card debt, maybe the way you pay for 529, uh, maybe your retirement accounts, might be taxes. 
there's lots and lots of places if you look under the hood that you're you're, that you're leaking money out of your financial system. And there's more power in collecting those dollars than actually saving money. Oh, that's and great. So that's what I try to work through with my clients is to understand. And that's and guess what? That's what corporations do. Corporations are very good at understanding opportunity loss. They hire MBAs like me to come in and find every dollar right. that they might be losing because right. when you when you have shareholders in Wall Street, every dollar matters. Yeah, I, I love this conversation about money leaks because there's also something called energy leaks, and it's where all people do the same thing in their life. They're they're not understanding the value of their time, or they're not understanding the value of the, the literally it is time. They're not understanding the value of their time. And there's all these energy leaks, which happen in things like overuse of social media with TV time, uh, with those late night binges. All of mm-hmm. these types of things can be energy leaks, sometimes dating apps. Uh, I know in the single world is a big one. So it's really interesting to talk about leaks because I feel like these happen um, both financially and they happen energetically also. And just being really aware of what those things are. And just seeing how these principles really apply across the board, right? Mm-hmm. So there, it's like you saying, hey, I want people to actually run their household like a business. If they look at it that way financially, they can be better off because they'll make better decisions. And that's such a good principle. Walter, what is something you know now? So after all these years, all your degrees, all the economic ups and downs that we've seen happen here, in the United States and across the globe for that matter. Mm-hmm. What is something you know now that you wish you had known when you were, say, 18, before you, before you got out into the world, started to make money and, and figure your life out? Like, what's that one thing, if you could go all the way back in time with this knowledge that would serve you like tenfold? Something that comes to mind is, is the power of mentors. Uh, and it could be because I didn't really grow up with a, a father figure in the same way that a lot of other folks did that, you know, you just didn't have somebody that could just kind of guide you through life like that. Uh, but I think having mentors would be great uh, because they really can be a place of support. You know, we don't want to necessarily not learn life lessons because those are some of the most valuable ones. Right. But again, maybe short circuit some of the ones you don't need to go through. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so they can certainly, you know, help guide you through Someone who's just, you know, really bought into your success, you know, shares a passion with you. I think, you know, as, as I work with my kids, I'm trying to find them, uh, some of the mentors, you know, sometimes it's hard to be a parent and a mentor, but finding somebody that can really talk to them honestly and, and really help them see life, you know, so that they don't have to go through some of the same, uh, some of the mistakes that you just don't need to make. Yeah. Uh, there'll be plenty of mistakes to make on your own, but, you know, just having somebody that can really be a good mentor. And I think the youth today with their entrepreneurial mind, Anecdotally, a lot of my age kids are going to college and they're all going to college with the mentality that they're going to start a business. But mm-hmm. all going in that, that they're going to find the next algorithm or the next, you know, whatever computer program yeah. or, or whatever it is. They're, they're not going into the degree. They are assuming they're coming out running a business. Yeah. Yet they know nothing about right. the other right. Right? right. Right. Love all the energy, love the spirit. But if they could find, you know, someone, a faculty member or someone who's, you know, right out of college, they can really help them understand what does it mean? to do this and, you know, what, what do we have to have in place to do that or where to go to get some experience before you, you know, can start some of this stuff. Yeah. I think it's really helpful. But yeah, no, I think you're totally right. And on that note, I want to just for any of our listeners, you know, depending on where you're at, obviously, if you're in your career, if you're making money, if you're there, but also still wanting some help, there are mentors, financial coaches, 
Um, that's such a big thing these days that didn't, mm-hmm. didn't exist as much, I'd say, 20 years ago. But you can find those folks that have what you want and work with them and figure out you know, how you can have those things as well. For our other folks that are younger, the, all of you that we've been talking about, that we know you're, you're ready to go out into the world energetically and start a business, but you have no idea how, there is mentorship for you also and great places for you to start. I'm going to give a couple of those resources because I think they're worth saying here. One of them is called SCORE. SCORE is an organization that has really, really incredible leaders that mentor for free. You can hop on there. You can uh, look through the different profiles. I'll give you an example. When I went to sit on the board of the nonprofit, uh, the Breasties, give them a little plug, the Breasties, when I was allocated chair of their board, we needed someone from like the financial space that would understand nonprofits. And I actually asked around. No one really had an answer for me. And I went to SCORE, looked through the different profiles and found someone who actually did know about nonprofit finances. And that was really helpful for me uh, in just needing some sort of resource of, of where to go. So these folks often have a great network and can help you. Uh, the other one is going to be, I'm trying to remember the, the term and Walter helped me out here. They're like um, associations. So you have like the um, uh, Asian American Association that a lot, if you're Asian American, you can go there and get a lot of resources. And from a diversity standpoint, choose to maybe work with some folks that are, you know, come from a similar cultural background. So I'd say that there's other associations out there people can join. There's also, I know in Dallas specifically, a place called the DEC Network. It's a nonprofit. They also have like, they basically operate like a small business administration, except they are very much geared towards entrepreneurs and they give them lots of resources. I mentored with, I was one of their mentors over the pandemic to help some of those businesses that were struggling a little bit, try to, you know, figure out their way through the the pandemic and, and how to leverage some resources. So there's so many really great organizations out there. Are there any that come to mind for you? Well, there's some similar in the Seattle area. Um, in fact, there's even some organizations that work with, you know, high school and below uh, where they take them through some mock business trainings and, and actually have a lot of people, you know, like myself or others that are in business help, uh, you know, speak to the expertise or things that, that we've gone through. As you get into the colleges, you know, a lot of colleges offer mentor mentorships, like just yep. flat out mentorships where you can go and just sit down with people and shadow them, right? I mean, shadowing yep. somebody is a tremendous way of just getting a sense for what their day's like and, and learning Absolutely. if this is something I'm interested in. So you're right. There's no shortage of options out there if you do your homework. Yeah, when uh, I was running the wealth company that I was telling folks about in the beginning of How I Know You, we utilized interns so much because Mm -hmm. they were very affordable, sometimes Mm -hmm. free, depending on where they came Mm -hmm. from. And they were some of the most scrappy folks that we would get because they were learning and they were little sponges and they wanted to do everything. And you could plug them into a process, you could give them an SOP, and they would they would rock and roll it. So I think yeah. that internships are definitely a very strong way for someone to at least get into a business and decide for themselves, do I really want this? Mm-hmm. If I'm shadowing someone in this business that I think I want to do, how is it going to feel? Because I've definitely right. been on the other side of also running a business, making millions of dollars only to get out the other side and for the CEO to look at me and go, that this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, this is very unaligned now because it was a lot of money and a lot of hitting goals, but not a lot of the fulfillment that mm-hmm. that I think he thought was going to show up in this business. Like there's the simplicity, right? If you're just a salesperson and that feels good to connect with people and talk to your customers and be on that level, 
if suddenly you're the owner you, and you never, you, you have all these departments in your management, you're making all these high-level decisions and you get a little far removed from that first-line customer. So it's really getting clear about where you are in your alignment of whatever business you're starting or whatever reason that you're doing whatever you're doing. And I think that accounts in every area of our life, our finances. Uh, if you're single, definitely in dating, figuring out like, where are you aligned right now? You know, are you looking for a lifetime partner or are you looking for a nighttime partner? I think those are two, two different kinds of strategies and two different kinds mm -hmm. of alignment. And it's really important to come out the, the gate and understand where are you at? Same in our finances. This mm -hmm. is such good, such, such juicy, juicy information. Now, Walter, I would be remiss to not ask you. Uh, obviously, economically, there's lots of talk. People say that we are in a recession now. If uh, the people that don't say we're in it now say it's coming. So do you believe that's true? And, uh, and give me some thoughts around that. Well, I think that we're certainly at a, we're certainly at a, uh, a changing of tides, right? At this point. So, you know, I, I won't claim to be an economist, uh, but I, but I, you know, we are saying some things that are interesting, you know, increasing interest rates as fast as they're, as they're increasing. So interestingly, none of us have been alive, uh, to see rates go up like this, right? We're, we are, most of our adult right. life rates have been coming down. So. Right. All of our research and academic background really is around the, the reduction of rates. And now we're trying to do the opposite. What does it mean if we raise rates over periods of time? Uh, I think we're also confronted with massive deficits, right? The government just owes more money than ever. I mean, it's, it's an untenable amount of money to even think about. And as interest rates go up, that means it costs more money to pay, uh, you know, pay off the debt, right? And so we know there's going to be what's called a crowding out effect, which is where some of the dollars that were to go to social programs might have to go to interest just to keep the debt going, right? So. Uh, so we do work, we are at this point in time where we have to be thoughtful about what does it mean uh, going forward. But that being said, you know, markets, uh, you know, uh, go up and down all the time, right? Um, and I think Mark Twain said it best where markets go up, down or stay the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, so the, it's, it's really hard to have a crystal ball to say what does the future look like? I think one of, the, one of the ideas I'm exploring is to get rid of your financial goals. The financial goals are not the way to do financial planning create a financial system that can accommodate your financial goals, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I think, is the most important thing. Because with, in this fluid society, our, our things that we want to accomplish may change, you know, from year to year or time to time or interest to interest. But what doesn't change is the ability to run our households effectively and efficiently so that we can handle whatever life throws at us, whether it's, you know, bad recessions or opportunities. The other thing I think is really important is we've all heard of the rainy day fund, but make sure you have an and have a sunny day fund, exactly. a fund that's there for opportunities, right? So the rainy day fund really was around because for the most part, baby boomers, Gen Xers, you know, we just had our jobs and just went about it. And the rainy day fund was really there if I lost a job or had some unfortunate event. But in a world where we're more like free agents bopping around all the time, we might need more money available to us to take advantage of op opportunities that we didn't foresee happen. It could be that we want to take a sabbatical. It could be that simple. It could be that we want to start our own business. It could be that we want to buy some real estate and something just became available. And so we're oftentimes are scared to keep a lot of cash around because we think it's inefficient. But again, if we go back to that banking, you know, bank on yourself um, concept, it's okay to have a war chest of productively growing money that's available to take advantage of what life throws at you, both good and bad, right? So yeah. don't be just thinking negatively that there's rainy day funds. There's plenty of opportunities that happen when, when there's recessions or things uh, when the economy is, you know, is, is running long as, as uh, maybe as smoothly as possible. That's when the opportunities really come into focus. Amazing. Amazing. Walter, how do people get in touch with you? 
I'm happy for them to uh, email me, Walter at the fifth option, all spelled out. They can call my phone number. You know, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty informal person. They can call me at 206-683-3375. And, you know, my, my practice is shifting now what I call the mortals, which is the people that are really on that fence of retirement or not retirement that I can help them get through that. Working with wealthy people is great, but let's face it, they're already okay. So where, where I get excited is, is taking folks who are right on that cusp of being okay or not okay and finding the strategies and things that's going to change their life materially. That's where I get, that's my ikigai, is knowing that if I can impact someone financially, my hope is that they will have some confidence and financial confidence breeds them to do amazing things. Like just freeze their mind up to you, go visit their grandkids, go travel, volunteer. All of that's great for the world and today's world. So that's my goal is to help people in that format. Amazing. Well, Walter, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for joining us on today's show. I hope that today's session inspires you to live an aligned life where you get to take complete ownership of your feelings and decisions to live in your truth. You can connect with me more at www.maryd.com. You can also catch us on YouTube at The Mary D Show. Head on over to Instagram and Facebook and type in at The Mary D and just look for the little blue check to ensure you're on my official page.